Amen. What an exciting and burdensome passage that we come to uh, today. Think about it. Uh, Jesus is not getting at mere converts in his command to go and make disciples. Rather, he implies this, the long and often painstaking process of sharing the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus and what he has done with those who are in unbelief or lost or skeptical of Christ, walking with one another in ups and downs, disappointments and celebrations, seasons of sinful disobedience and great spiritual fruit, right? Exciting and burdensome is the command to go, therefore, and make disciples. Uh, We put ourselves in the story of Jesus and his disciples, who he's in the presence of here on this mountain. He called to them, uh, going back to the beginning of the Gospels, when he called uh, the twelve disciples to himself, he called to them from the shore of the Sea of Galilee to basically drop their livelihood, to depart from their families in haste, to give up everything in order to follow after him, to learn from him. At times they were amazed at the power and authority of his word and his teaching. And yet other times they thought he was crazy when he, with the same word, declared that he must die and be raised from the dead. They had much excitement and and exhilaration in his healing command and confidence and power over the demonic. And yet they did not respect the times when he departed their company, took rest, and prayed to the Father. They demanded more miracles, more healings, more exorcisms. The the commission of Jesus calls us now to this same task that Jesus modeled for us of leading, discipling, investing our lives into one another. The the demands of of years of commitment to each other. Jesus taught and and reproved the, the, the disciples for many years. And this was God himself commissioning these men on this mountain. Imagine how much more difficult it will be for us, just kind of mere normal humans. I say this not to discourage, but to encourage you. The task is never finished. And it's beyond just counting conversions or or baptisms. It is a whole life commitment to this, to being invested in, we must be discipled, and in turn investing in other disciples, and ultimately those who have yet to become disciples, those who have yet to come to know the saving power of Jesus. So we come to this question, why this series on the Great Commission? Because we have a problem, and this is the problem. The problem is this, the local church has done a poor job of communicating the importance of the Great Commission. What's the evidence? What's the proof, right? Uh, The Barna Group is a research group focused on surveying information on kind of the intersection of faith and culture, and they found this result in surveying over a thousand, this is an important word, church-going U.S. adults. So folks that would go to church on a regular basis, they found this statistics statistic. Half of all U.S. churchgoers, that's 51%, say they are unfamiliar with the term the Great Commission. And if presented with a list of potential verses, so kind of multiple choice, like when I was in school, I loved multiple choice tests, right? Because then I have kind of a one in four shot of at least getting it right if I have no clue. If, if presented with a list of potential verses, just 37% recognize the correct passage that goes by this name. This is a massive problem. And it's startling to me as a minister, as a pastor of a local church. 
If we desire for people, our community, our state, and and our country to be transformed by the power of the gospel, then we must take heed, we must take hold of the command of Jesus found here in Matthew 28. This, This amazing passage rightly named the Great Commission. And, and so we're going to do this over the next four weeks. We're going to examine, learn, and, and hopefully be charged up for the mission that God has entrusted to his church. And so we begin, we're going to have to begin with the basics. We begin with a catalyst this morning. There was a catalyst that caused these men to go out and to, in a sense, sacrifice their life for the cause of God's kingdom. There's a specific catalyst that occurs to to charge the disciples, and and not just the disciples, but many other followers, to go forth and spread the good news about Jesus throughout the Roman Empire some 2,000 years ago. In science, like going back to high school, a a catalyst used in in science promotes a, a reaction or a change within two substances. In history, we've seen people that are catalysts that bring forth radical transformation among a group they are leading. You think of uh, men like Abraham Lincoln or or Winston Churchill or or Dr. Martin Luther King. But there's no other, I want to tell you this truth, there's no other catalyst in the history of the world greater than Jesus. No other positive movement of a people that has been more impactful than that of the Christian faith, of Christianity spreading all around the world. What is the reason, okay? What is the reason for this charge and this movement and this transformation of these disciples? We look to the first two verses back in our passage again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. We're going to get to the reason why they worshipped him. Then it says, but some doubted. This is what has transpired. This is, I'm going to give you a view into the whole context, not just what's happened here at the end of Matthew, but what's going on all around. I want you to get this visually. Okay, we're just stuck here in kind of a gray gym in the middle of Shepherdsville, Kentucky, in the middle of the winter, which it's all gray outside too, right? We're just kind of in a box. But these men are with Jesus on, in this rocky, mountainous, probably a beautiful area in Galilee. The beauty of creation all around them. Right? We have this, this amazing place, this colliding of the height of the rocks jutting out from the earth, clear blue skies dotted with, with fluffy clouds and a cool breeze blowing. They can see the beautiful valley below them. These men have, have once again met the man that they have dedicated their lives to for following in, in the last three years. But something at this point, when they've met him this time, at this point in time, has changed. What has gone on just before this? Something's different. You see, this, this is the same man, at this point in time, just days before, who had been brutally beaten and marred. He was barely recognizable as he dragged the, the crossbeam of the instrument of death and suffering through the streets, making his way to the place of the skull, the hill called Golgotha. This is the same man that cried out in pain and discomfort as nails were driven through his hands and feet. The same man who forgave the mockers and executioners. The same man whose heavenly father turned his back on him as the full weight of sin and shame was placed upon his shoulders. The same man that under the weight of sin, his frail body dying, called out in triumph yet another time, looking to the criminal on the cross next to him, snatching this criminal out of the embrace of hell and declaring these words, Today you will be with me in paradise. 
And this Jesus was the same man who declared these important three words. It is finished. Breathed his last and gave up his spirit. The same man that had a spear run through his side to ensure that death had truly taken hold. The same man whose own mother and followers wept at the foot of the cross because the Savior of the world died. The same man that was taken down and placed in a rich man's tomb. The same man laid behind a heavy stone and guarded family. He was dead. And this dead man, now on the mountain in Galilee, stood before these men. Because here's the truth. Death could not hold him. Death could not conquer my Jesus. He's alive. What is the, the catalyst, right? What is the catalyst for the radical transformation of the earliest followers of Jesus to go and tell? It is this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection forever changed the world. Okay, we can't go straight to the Great Commission because the cause of the mission is the finished work of Jesus to bring forth this, the forgiveness of sins through His perfect life. Hear this. He lived for you. His sin-atoning death. He died for you, shedding His blood. And the death-conquering resurrection from the dead. Which brings forth this. This is the beauty of the resurrection. It brings forth a new covenant, a new birth among humanity, a new creation in the world. Nothing is the same. The resurrection changes everything. Which brings us to our second point we see here at commission. So the catalyst for these men to give up their lives to the cause of God's kingdom was that they saw Jesus resurrected, alive. And then they were commissioned. What is a commission? It's a command, a duty given to a group of people from a greater authority. We're we're dealing with here a command that we cannot circumvent as followers of Jesus or get around. If we have truly been transformed by the power of God, born again by His Holy Spirit, we must obey this charge to make disciples. Verses 18 to 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a guy you should listen to, isn't it? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This commission is the spreading of God's glory throughout all of creation. His intended design, going all the way back to the beginning of Adam and Eve, that they would spread the glory of God throughout all of creation. A call to multiply and expand, to take back the ground that God rightly deserves and has authority over. Jesus declares it so here, that all authority in every realm, heaven and earth, spiritual and physical, has been given to Him. There's not one square inch of creation that Jesus looks at that doesn't cry out, that's mine. All of it. Why? How? Because before Jesus came in the flesh, He was. He has eternally existed with God the Father and God the Spirit 
It's awesome. We, we come to this passage in this point in time in the calendar year. We just celebrated Christmas. The time when we joyfully remember the birth of Jesus in the flesh. Hear this though. The, the incarnation was not the beginning of his existence. The Bible says he was and is and is to come. He's always existed and always will exist. In Revelation, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. Going back to Catalyst, it's the reason why death could not hold them, because he's God. This is why he has authority. It's why he can say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, because I'm God. And under the, this banner of authority, he commissions us. He, he commands us to do something. Simply put, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is this. I'll, I'll define it this way. It, it's, it's a fully committed follower of Jesus who loves God by loving others. We're commissioned for this. If you look in, in history, people have been commissioned for many things. In the early 1500s, there was an artist, Michelangelo, okay, not, not the Ninja Turtles, but an artist. He was commissioned, commanded, called to paint one of the most famous pieces of art in the world, the Sistine Chapel, a large papal building within the Vatican. And he, he painted this beautiful picture, the creation of Adam as the centerpiece and most famous of the artwork within this building. Michelangelo obeyed his commissioning and went forth with the work to make, to create, to paint with beauty. But we've been commissioned by one far superior than any other, the Lord Jesus, to go and multiply a people. And this is all throughout Scripture. If we look, these, we could connect this passage all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Thinking of Michelangelo's work, the creation of Adam, God, uh, looking at Genesis 1.28, the Bible says this, God blessed them after he created Adam and Eve, blessed them and he said to them, hear this command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we see this command many times in Scripture. I have a couple other references there. Genesis 9.1, be fruitful and multiply. Verse 7, be fruitful and multiply. 15.5, it's implied in the covenant with Abraham. Be fruitful and multiply. It's the same command here given by Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples. Be fruitful and multiply, church. Don't, don't keep the light hidden. Don't keep Jesus to yourself. Spread out. Fill all of creation with the glory of God, one disciple at a time. And to every nation, and every people group, the task isn't just a, a proclaiming task. It's not just one that seeks converts that we can just kind of dunk in the waters of baptism and say, I, I hope it works out for you. No. It's a long-term investment into one another. This is the burden of disciple-making. It is tough and toilsome work to walk with somebody through their ups and downs, for somebody to walk through with you through your ups and downs, to confess 
where you fall short to other people, that's hard, isn't it? It's tough, toilsome work. Hear this, my plea to you as a pastor of a people, ministers and ministry leaders, we can't do this work alone. There's thousands of pastors that are walking away from ministry because the weight is just too much to bear. I need you. We need you. If it's just me or a few elders or key leaders in the church doing discipling, we fall short of the command to be fruitful and to multiply. Notice that word multiply. If the task is just left to a small handful of people, we only witness, right? We're going to get it. We got some math nerds in here, right? Addition is kind of a slow process, isn't it? If it's just a few people, we're just adding. But God has charged us to be fruitful and multiply, right? Multiplication. When you used to pull out the multiplication table, like third grade, man, I hated that time. But when you multiply numbers together, it's explosive. This word comes in, it's exponential. That's what happened in the Roman Empire when, when Christianity burst forth. It was an exponential movement throughout the empire. And then what do we do once one comes to know the saving power of Jesus? It's our third point. We see the command. We see the command of Jesus. Not just converts. Not just somebody, you know, cannonballing into the baptistry. Christ calls us to do this. In verse 20, the beginning part of verse 20, teaching them to observe, I put in also some other translations that say, obey or keep or hold fast to all that I have commanded you. And there are many commands of Jesus, but Jesus is such an incredible teacher that he, he makes it very simple for us. He gives us the simplest way to define his commands through what he calls the Great Commandment. It's awesome that we get the Great Commission and the Great Commandment all in one sermon this morning. One of the theologians I was reading this week, his name's Michael Green, he pointed out this. He says, the Great Commission is the counterpart of the Great Commandment to love God and neighbor. Basic to disciple-making is, is this amazing exchange that we see back in the Gospel of Matthew chapter uh, 22 between Jesus and and the teachers of the law, they're challenging him. They're trying to trick him. And so they pose this question, Teacher, what is the, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, that's Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gives us this beautiful view into the law of God. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The whole word of God rests on this. Love God, love others. Every command in Scripture rests on these two commandments. And in fact, if we Look at the Great Commission going back to our passage. We see both of these upheld and represented in Christ's commissioning of these early disciples. 
We love God by obeying His command to be fruitful and multiply, spreading His glory throughout the world. We love our neighbor by pointing them to submit to Christ and obey His commands. To do this, to receive Him as Lord, that is, director, kind of commissioner over their life, and, this is a beautiful word, Savior, forgiver, pardoner of sin. We can go further into the commands. I know some of you in the room love when I give you homework. Uh, So this week, your homework is uh, to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. will help you to kind of understand what kingdom life looks like, what it means to obey the commands of Christ. But lastly, here we have our last point. We see connection. There's connection in this passage. We're connected to our Savior, Jesus. And just kind of bookend this reading, verse 18, and then we'll look at the last part of verse 20. The Bible says, And Jesus came and said to them, Again, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then there's this beautiful, beautiful promise. Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to get into this more in a few weeks. We'll look at a parallel passage in the Gospel of John, which highlights this point of us being spirit-led, spirit-empowered. But here's kind of the, you know, back in high school when I didn't read a book and prepare for the book report, I would sneak and read the Cliff's Notes. You guys remember Cliff's Notes? I don't know if they have those anymore. Here's kind of the Cliff's Notes version of what we'll get to in a few weeks. Simply put this way, some like younger people are like, I have no idea what Cliff's Notes are. Through faith, this, this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Through faith in Jesus, we are forever connected with him to him. How? Through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. I want you to hear this. I know we're a society that struggles with with loneliness. In Christ, you are never alone. In Christ, you are never forsaken. In Christ, you are never ill-equipped for the task, the mission, the commission that Jesus has entrusted to us. You have all that you need because the Spirit of our eternal God lives within you. Paul highlights in his letter to the Romans... That, that the same Spirit, going back to Catalyst, going back to the resurrection, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, Christian. That's amazing. God's taking ground back. One disciple at a time. And when God takes that ground back for His glory, 
We are. This is the positive outcome. We are transformed. We are changed forever. We are born anew. That's why we call ourselves born again Christians. We are. Paul again highlights this in 2 Corinthians 5. We are new creations in Christ. And the Old Testament prophets, I love this, this word connection, okay? This connection that we have, the Old Testament prophets, under the inspiration, hear this, of the same Spirit that lives within you. Mind-blowing, right? The Old Testament prophets, under the, same, under the inspiration of the same Spirit that lives within us, said it would be so. This is a, a beautiful passage from Ezekiel 36. Verses 26 to 28, the Word of God says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Right, a heart that was resistant to the grace and mercy of God. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will do this. And I will put my spirit within you. Going to, let's see this connection now. So we see that we're connected to Jesus through His Spirit, but we're going to see another connection to the Great Commission. Through the empowering of the Spirit, the prophet Ezekiel says, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. This is beautiful here. Check this out. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. What a connection that we have. And so in light of this, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this? Jesus, raised from the dead, on this mountain with his disciples, the word of God entrusted to, to teach us, to help us to understand, says this, documents this. It, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me. Not just where he stood at that time, but he said, In heaven, on earth. What is he getting at? Everywhere. What are you going to do? God who became man, died bodily, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. We'll get into this in a few weeks, but, but in Acts chapter 1, it shows us that he, he ascended to heaven. A little bit later on in Acts, we see where he's seated. He's seated in a position of authority at the right hand of God the Father. God has given us all we need for life and holiness. He calls you, He calls me, then because of this, to go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that He has commanded. This is, family, the great commission in all of life. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus, meaning we we evangelize, we explain the work of Christ and why a person needs Jesus, needs to place their faith and confidence in his life, death, and resurrection. We call then those who profess Christ to publicly declare their faith through obedience and water baptism. 
and we teach one another to obey the command the commands of Jesus which are ultimately summarized in the great command to to simply do this love God love others and, and the the transformative piece of this the the where we really kind of see the rubber meet the road in life is because of obedience to that great command to love God and love others. As we love and care for others, this is what happens. Right? The hungry are fed. The broken are restored. The lonely are comforted. The addict freed. The racist transformed to unity. The hater given love. The gossip given restraint. Hear this. The sinner saved and reconciled to God as His people. We are then called the children of God. Through Christ, I often say family in here, it's because we're brothers and sisters. We're called God's children. Amen?